We're back with the Tech Policy Grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow at the Airnet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. This time, we have another fellow highlight, this time with Class 4 Foundry Fellow and Secretary for our Executive Board, Ellen Magallanes. Hi, Ellen. How are you today? (laughs) Hi, Mary. I'm doing well. Thank you. (laughs) So great to have you here. Uh, I mean, I know Ellen for a while now. I'm super excited to uh, have her share her journey and her thoughts about tech law and policy in general and to kickstart our Chad, I would um, like to ask you a very broad question, which is uh, what inspired you to start working in the field of tech law and policy and, you know, how you got into this universe, which seems like a niche, but it's actually a universe when you are inside. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I think it was envy because I was in law school. I was working at a law firm and my husband was working at a tech company and he got to wear casual clothes. He got to have lunch provided for him. He was paid pretty well and he finished work at a decent time. And I was like, I want all of that. So after my first law firm job, um, I started work at a tech company in Australia um, and it was only for a couple of months. It was actually a really bad experience because the um, the CEO at this like five person company was a bit of a, a micromanager. Some could even argue narcissist. Um, yeah, just really, it was really, it was really difficult to work with. I found out that like twenty people had been through my role before I had been in it, and luckily I befriended the engineers, um, and they told me like they told me the reality of what was happening and I was able to like extricate myself from that. And then after that, I moved to the U S because my husband got recruited uh, to work in Silicon Valley. And from there I started a fellowship at the Wikimedia foundation and that was in 2020. And that's where I work today. And how was the transition from, you know, from Australia to U S what did you find interesting or surprising there? <laughs> I think that like, the cultural differences were interesting. Um, so one tipping, had no idea what that was, how to deal with it. Everything was so expensive, um, especially here in, you know, in San Francisco. Um, but I think that like there were a lot of cultural differences and it's hard to explain. Like, for example, I think I'm pretty... I consider myself pretty well-read. Like I'd go into any Australian bookstore, I'd see the top 50 books that they're selling and I'd be like, yeah, I've read most of them. Um, And then I go to the US and then I see what they're selling. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't even heard of these books. I don't know. Like, and it's, it's, I guess I've mentioned that because the market is different and what people think are, is important is different. I also, you know, immigrated to US a couple of years ago and I have different reflections because I come from Armenia but like one of the things for me was scale for instance and when you say like for instance the example with books it's 
to me, it's not surprising that you will get like different ones or maybe like a way bigger variety or something. But Australia is not a small country at all. Um, so I want uh, us to go to uh, to where you are now and what do you do now? So you mentioned Wikimedia Foundation and uh, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. you work there even now. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you do there and what your yeah. day-to-day job looks like. I'm Senior Counsel at the Wikimedia Foundation, and I work in the privacy team. And we've been working lately on um, making the interaction between us, the privacy team, and the rest of the foundation smoother. I am there to help assess risk, let them know things that maybe they didn't consider the first time, and to help make sure that we are complying with the law, complying with our own privacy policies, and lastly, complying with the spirit of the law. Uh, Wikimedia has this fun test it's like literally something that we consider. The last step we ask is, is this creepy? You know, is it may be legal, you know, but is it something that we want associated with our brands, with our culture? Because, um, you know, Wikimedia is part of the free knowledge movement. And we believe that privacy is essential to making movements like that operate so that you can feel free to speak your mind. And um, especially when it comes to controversial topics, you know, or in locales where uh, certain things are illegal. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's really important, and I really enjoy my job. So it entails a lot of collaboration uh, across teams, and because also the movement is global, uh, I, I believe you also work a lot yes. with you know people based around the world. And I would love to have your perspective on some of the interesting and challenging things that you see. Um, when you work at a place like Wikimedia that operates globally, what are the things that um, you look forward to, like contributing to, or things that frustrate you every day? <laughs> well, okay. One of my favorite things about working here is that because we're global, whenever my perspective is a little bit different, and it can be a lot, just in like very many spheres. Um, I am able to push back and I'm able to feel heard. And like, I love that. I love how the the diversity of my opinion is appreciated and it's considered um, like an asset rather than like, oh, I don't conform. You know, I'm not like everyone else. Um, and that was really important to me, finding a job that would appreciate my perspective rather than having me to acclimatize to like, you know, US thinking. Um, and I think particularly with Wikipedia, Um, like for a long time we've had the reputation of most of our editors being male most of them being based in the U.S. Um, and I'd say today we're very much a global movement and a global organization so helping to make sure that the policies we're implementing reflect that global diversity and impact people fairly and how they you know and understand the way they operate I think that's really important Um, some projects that I've been the proudest to work on that have been the most fun for me are, uh, last year we filed an amicus brief in Argentina about the right to be forgotten. I thought that was super interesting. Um, and the, what we were arguing was that like people, the right to be forgotten can't be used by like celebrities to like hide inconvenient truths about their path. Like that is like a one-way ticket to censorship and to corrupting uh, freedom of information available. 
And we don't think that's what the right to be forgotten was created for, you know, when you think of the original Gonzalez Google case. Um, and yet a lot of people are trying to use it in that way. And because we're global, like wh wherever that fight pops up, we get to argue it in different jurisdictions. Um, I also remember in Australia um, attending a couple of defamation roundtable discussions with the, with the Australian government, which was pretty exciting um, to be able to speak like in a room full of like barristers and industry leaders and politicians um, and to be able to get to say, hey, don't forget about Wikipedia when you're trying to legislate, you know, what you do will have an impact on our operation. And I don't think you mean to destroy freedom of speech online. I don't, and Australia like doesn't actually believe in freedom of speech. We believe in the implied freedom of political communication. So you have to be careful. You can't say freedom of speech too much because they'll, they'll know that you're like too American and they'll be like immune to your arguments. And like, I know that because I'm Australian. <laughs> so the way that we had to like argue our case and explain like, like even articles about politicians and things like that, like that is important you know, and they don't, they shouldn't uh, destroy that in their quest to make things fair in defamation. For sure. So interesting. I didn't know that aspect about uh, Australia. I mean, I know that like people outside of US don't like when you say, any, even use the expression free speech because everywhere else is freedom of expression because yeah. it's based on the human rights yeah. <laughs> understanding of things. But in US it's First Amendment and we know how this goes. Um, but um Yes. Very interesting um, project for sure. Are there any issues on top of mind for you now that you are working on or you would love to work on like moving forward? Hmm. I'd say, you know, where I'm focusing my career right now actually is like product counseling. So although like the policy issues are super exciting and I got to spend quite a bit of time like in my previous years at the foundation on them, um, our global advocacy team is bigger now. They've hired a lot more people. And so what I think the foundation needs most for me and like the skill that I want to work on is actually my lawyering skills at the moment. So supporting product and tech, making sure that I'm read up on current privacy law rather than trying to like advocate for future privacy laws. Like that's still important. That's still being done at the foundation, just not by me so much. I guess I really wanted to um, think about what skills I could gain for my job that are the most transferable in the future. You know, one day I want to move back to Australia. I want to be back with my family. And Australia is just not a large advocacy space. I mean, you it was flattering for you to say that Australia is a large country. Like it really isn't in the global landscape. Um, I think that uh, every country has a bit of a like outsized uh, view of itself in comparison to others. And, you know, in saying that, I'll, I'll always call Australia home and I'll go back there one day. And I just I know that like there's I'll, I'll have an easier job going back as a lawyer with in-house counsel privacy skills than I will as an advocate. That's exciting. Uh, I mean, you know, half of the time knowing what you want that you don't want to do is is what we do. Uh, you know, when you experiment and you understand that, you know, moving forward, I would love to focus on X. And it's exciting to see that you decided to focus on uh, product counseling. And I'm sure it is uh, fun uh, to be doing privacy work in product counseling these days with all the privacy laws popping up everywhere. Um, so <laughs> I wish you and the team a lot of patience. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's fun. No, I have to like give a shout out to like Wikimedia engineers. They are very privacy minded. It is like a great pleasure to work with. Like there's this there's this like almost stereotype of like being in-house and you're just like the buzzkill. You're just there to like crush people's dreams, block all the projects. You're like a cost center, you know. And I like I hear I hear about that, especially like being in the tech industry in San Francisco. I hear about that a lot. But at work, people don't treat me like that and I really appreciate it. And I really try to help them see, like, I'm here to add value. You know, I know you care about privacy. I care about privacy. Here you go. And, like, it's funny when you mention, like, you know, there's so many laws. How do you keep track of them all? And the further I get into my career, like, I'm kind of doing, <laughs> like, vibes-based lawyering. Like, you just have an instinct. Like, that sounds like it should be all right. All right. Let me research the law to double check. But what you're saying isn't, like, raising alarm bells. And, and I think that's crazy to me that I developed that instinct to be able to recognize what is and isn't possible. Um, yeah, I guess that's just coming with experience. And I'm excited to see like how much further I can hone the skill and in what future jurisdictions I can hone it on. I recently completed the CIPP slash US, um, which is pretty interesting. So I got to see like the whole overview of US law, privacy law in particular. Um Maybe I'll do the EU one in the future because, you know, the EU is really leading the way when it comes to a lot of these changes. Um, yeah. Exciting. And congrats on CIPP US. Uh, definitely, it's a good one to, to have a, an overview of everything. Though, like, so many laws are popping yeah. up these days, I feel like even that certification needs to be updated like on monthly basis <laughs> to keep up with everything. Um, and no, also, I, I yeah. literally think it is updated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it should be. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, to your point about, you know, people considering in-house councils as the no people or dream crushers, I think it, it also, you know, it takes a while to build relationships with people for them to understand what you do. And I think, the team is doing that. Um, it it needs to be there uh, for people to to approach you to not avoid the conversation with legal, but actually go to legal for the input because they understand. Yeah. <laughs> why this is necessary? You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and in the interest of disclosure, Mary worked with me in Wikimedia Legal for uh, for a semester. <laughs> so. Yes, that's Mary how knows. I met. <laughs> what a flag here. Yes. A disclaimer there that I know a little bit about this. Uh, but yeah, those, that was a fun summer. And also another fun um, note about it that both Ellen and I were studying for the New York bar exam uh, while also working. So that part was not fun, yes. but overall a great summer. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, both Ellen and I are fellows. Uh, at the Foundry, both uh, members of class four. And I would love to know, um, and I mean, I know, but I would like Ellen to share what she uh, did and is doing at the Foundry and what you look forward to as we are approaching the end of our fellowship in a way. Yeah, I know we have, what, it's May now. So we have, what, eight months left, seven months left. Yeah, it's coming on up. So I am in the executive board at the Foundry. Um, I 
submitted an application. There were no contenders for my role. It was quite the easy uh, election. <laughs> and I was elected as a secretary. And um, as a secretary, I kind of view it as my job to like help keep things, like more like admin like help keep things going. So I try to make sure that we keep good records at our meetings. We keep things going along. And as like an e-board member, I get to attend weekly meetings and help support and learn about what's going on at the foundry. And I support initiatives where I can, and I also lead initiatives where I can. So an example of an initiative that I'm uh, supporting is the, I guess the podcast on this one. <laughs> one of the first things I did at the foundry was host a podcast. So this is my first time being on the other end. So that's, that's exciting. Um, you know, you're doing so great and Rima and everyone else is working on the tech policy grind. It's incredible how much traffic we're getting. It's so cool. <laughs> and another thing that I'd say I'm more leading right now would be our idea committee uh, that stands for, let's, do, let's see if I can get all the letters, inclusivity, D, diversity, E, mm, equality, and A, accessibility. There we go. <laughs> so, um, and as part of that, we wrote like a mission statement to try and uh, articulate like our vision for diversity within the foundry to make sure that our events properly take into consideration these values. And we're now at the stage where we're thinking of hosting external events or trying to like, now that we've confirmed our internal vision, seeing what, what we can do like out in the world. And that's really exciting. I'm really big on diversity. My first podcast was about um, AAPI Heritage Month, which it actually is this month also, actually, <laughs> which is cool. And I interviewed a couple of people on what it meant to, um, like, uh, what, like, the glass ceiling meant and, like, what the being, like, token Asians were like in the tech field. So that was a super interesting discussion that I had to do a lot of research for to understand better. And that was really uh, rewarding to to do. That was an amazing episode and I cannot believe it's been almost a year since we released it. Time really flies. Yeah. Um, and we're really <laughs> excited about the initiative uh, and the external engagement that will come from the idea committee. Um, and, you know, like the Foundry is a platform for young professionals that are in this space or are trying to transition or begin their career in this space. And you also mentioned uh, that you read a lot of books. So I guess my next question will be around any books or podcasts or resources that you read or you would recommend to early career tech law and policy professionals. Hmm. Okay. Um, so first of all, I actually don't do podcasts. I only read. <laughs> I like can't fit both hobbies in my life. I only read. Sometimes I do audiobooks, which is technically also reading. So my recommendations are going to be books. My first one is Weapons of Math Destruction. I think that by Kathy O'Neill, I think that everybody has got to read it to understand like the scale at which like technology can operate and some of the risks associated with it. And it's not like one of those like, you know, doomsayer, like mayday, mayday, like AI is going to take over the world. Like it's, it's not like that. It's really informed. Um, her background is like, you know, mathematics. And then she went into tech. So she like really understood modeling. Um, and I found that fascinating. 
Um, and considering my husband works for big tech, um, I think that it's a really helpful perspective for me to have. And also considering a lot of a lot of governments are trying to consider Wikimedia as big tech, you know, um, even though like we're a nonprofit, I guess it's because we're so popular. It's hard to argue that we're not big tech, um, even though like we're not social media. We don't like host conversations and whatnot. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. I, I think that's important. And then a second book, and this is more of a general like leadership book. And this book I recommend particularly for women. It's called Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. If you've ever listened to any of her work or you've ever read any of her books, I highly recommend it. But the one that I recommend the most right now is Dare to Lead. Um, and speaking of which, my therapist also recommended a book by her called Braving the Wilderness. I haven't read that one yet, but what my therapist was telling me about it, it sounded like right up my alley. It's like cool tricks to like negotiate the workplace and understand your power and like be confident. And um, yeah, I really liked it. And then there's a part about like the power of vulnerability, which I think is pretty like understated. Like uh, you said that like, you know, forming connections with my colleagues is kind of key to the work that I do. So they feel safe coming to me before like things go wrong, you know, that's the ideal opportunity for me to help them. And I think that developing those relationships at work is really important. And uh, that book will help you get there. These are amazing. Um, and uh, when you mentioned vulnerability, it reminded me of the book called You Are Invited. It's about how to um, influence people and how to build communities. And there the author also mentions that to have connections, we need to have vulnerability loops. And I just found that idea so fundamental and so overlooked. Um, so I, I found the book really interesting. Um, but thank you so much for this. We'll definitely include this um, suggestions in the show notes for people to go back and check them out. Um, and uh, my next two questions are uh, mainly around any advice. First, the advice that you got when you were trying to, to pivot into tech law and policy, something that you found to be a good piece of advice and something that was not really helpful. Um, and then if you have some wisdom you would want to share with someone who is thinking to start in this space or to pivot to tech law and policy, something that, you know, you know because you went through this journey and now looking back, you feel like that would be a good piece of advice to give to yourself mm -hmm. if you were to start okay. out now. I'll start with what I wish I knew back then. So what I wish I knew back then is that the skills that you are developing are quite transferable. I know that tech law and policy sounds super niche, but just because you've never done it before doesn't mean that you can't become good at it. Like you can become a subject matter expert like fairly quickly. I remember during my fellowship at the Wikimedia Foundation, I was there for like four or five months. Um, although I'd worked at a tech company before, also only for a couple of months, this is the first time I'd gotten hard into IP and privacy and content moderation and issues like that. Um, I'd done two courses, two IP courses in university, 
but they were about Australian IP law. So <laughs> I knew I knew the word, like I knew what a patent was, you know, no idea how it worked in the US. They didn't cover that. <laughs> um, and one of the pieces of feedback that I got from my manager at the time was that, yeah, I had become a subject matter expert. He had no complaints there. And I was like, you don't? That's incredible. I learned all of that in like four months and you can too. And like the CIPP courses are pretty good for giving you that like generalized. I, re- I wish I did that earlier. That's another piece of advice. Do that earlier in your career. Um, because I tell you now, I don't need most of it for my job. Like none of these laws <laughs> apply to like Wikimedia, no health, you know, uh, uh, FTC doesn't have jurisdiction over nonprofits either. So really none of it was very relevant, but it was very interesting. And I wish I had had that background um, going in. Although I'm glad that I did it at a stage in my career where my workplace could pay for it. So, you know, recognizing the reality, like these tests are expensive, they take time. Um, yeah, so if you if you have the resources, I recommend taking it earlier if you can. Um, so yeah, you can basically like, you can do it though, is what I'm saying. I had worked in personal injury law beforehand and that doesn't sound like it'd be transferable at all. But apparently like all the people skills I learned there were completely transferable for like working with my client the foundation and all the engineers um, and all the other teams, you know, we support not just product and tech. We also support like people who do community work and are launching products to support and work with the community. So yeah, I think that's one thing. So don't get, don't get too stressed. And don't feel like the things that you're doing now, like aren't helping, like maybe you can't paint the straightest path, you know, between where you want to go and what you're doing now. And that's completely okay. Like if I were to look back at my path, it seems pretty crooked, but I'm really happy with where I am now. So like every, even things that seem like a setback, like starting a job at a tech company where the boss made me cry because he yelled at me like in front of everyone, like that served me in the end because I had tech experience when I applied to Wikimedia. So you never know with these things. Um, One piece of advice that I was given that like I didn't, really that didn't really work for me was like the mentorship piece my university had a whole bunch of mentorship programs where we connected with someone who was like senior and like established in their career and um you know they'd be like in their 40s they'd have kids they'd be like director partner level at whatever organization they were at I think my um partner had been at KPMG for like decades I don't recall now exactly and then she had maybe started her own thing. Um, and I remember I reached out to a partner at an international law firm because I knew I wanted to do some kind of international work. I knew that like the world was bigger than Australia. And I was like, I guess like litigation has the word international in it. So maybe I should go for that. I don't know. I, d- I didn't know basically. I didn't know what was out there. And like the reason that the mentorship programs didn't work for me was because I was so new to this, I did not even know what to ask. They're there and they're looking to like help solve things for you. But if you don't know, if you don't know what to ask, then those programs aren't that helpful. And it's it's heartbreaking into law as like first generation lawyer, you know, and then me again breaking it into it in the US from like a foreigner's perspective and I'm sure you have examples of that too, Mary. So I guess like 
everyone says mentorships are so amazing, but like my most amazing mentors, they've been people that I've worked with that I really respect. And every now and again, as we're discussing work things, I throw in a question about work, life uh, and professional like like ideas. Like, you know, I ask them, you've been at the foundation longer than me. How has your relationship to work changed over time? Like, I know what to ask now because I've lived in this world and I know them better. I think it's so hard to make authentic relationships when you don't know what you're looking for and you've just signed up to a program and no one really knows what they're doing. So I guess don't feel bad if like you try to sign up for a mentorship program and like it doesn't really work. Um, I think that mentors can happen. Um, and maybe not in the way you might you might expect. Yeah, so sometimes they say you don't find your mentors, they find you. So I think that that's how it works sometimes. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then what I hear from what you were just saying is that, you know, if people um, want something, they should find the courage, which is really hard, but find courage to experiment to know what they can ask for, what is out there. Um, experiment could be volunteering or interning or just doing research. It has different forms, but it's first step, I, I hear you, is definitely experimenting to, to find your space or even understand what is out there to, to identify your space there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was very fun for me. I always love our chat, but as we are trying to conclude um, this episode, um, I just want to know what is next for you. Um, I mean, you already mentioned that you want to focus on product counseling, maybe going back to Australia down the line, but what is it that you consider to be next for you in the next couple of years, for instance? Well... I've really enjoyed working in tech. So maybe, like, I'm trying to figure out if there's, like, another U.S. company I need to work for before I move back to Australia. You know, if I want to get some, maybe some private sector experience, even though I really enjoy the nonprofit aspect of my job. So I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, should I should I try big tech itself? Should I, you know, another company that interests me is, like, Bumble because it was has a woman CEO and like your mission is like love. <laughs> so that sounds super adorable. Um, or whether staying where I'm at and like leveling up my skills here is the best path for me. I mean, I obviously want to stay. I, I see, like, maybe it's not obvious. Like I do see myself at Wikimedia like in the future, but like maybe not the rest of my career, you know? So I have to figure out what comes what comes next but you know in saying that like a lot of people have meant to leave and they just haven't yet so <laughs> maybe 10 years from now I'll still be at Wikimedia <laughs> you never know these things um I guess the world the world is really wide and I'm really grateful for the opportunity I have to get this you know experience and to feel like I have options in in the future so I don't even know if I'll be a lawyer like for the rest of my life. I think that just understanding how broad my skill set is is super good for me. You know, I don't have to limit myself to like being a lawyer. So that was a terribly vague answer. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was very honest. That's what I was 
hoping for um, and really grateful for this um, fun and honest conversation about your journey and what you are doing now and what you want to do next. And from my side, I'll add that it's great to not have like full-fledged, you know, plan sometimes because you are more flexible to reflect and adjust as you go. You know, life happens in the meantime so maybe you wouldn't want to be a lawyer or you would want to be even you know like another kind of lawyer in a couple of years who knows that's all mm. like life mm. so. exactly i'm just future proofing myself against disappointment i've learned the lesson about like the the trials of having a rigid plan for yourself because when that doesn't happen oh it's so devastating so now I'm like, I'm smarter. Like, you know, I'm hedging my bets. Many paths will make me happy. I know that. And really that's that's the better place to be, I think. <laughs> that sounds exciting. And I'm so excited to see where this journey takes you. And thanks again for taking the time to chat with me today um, on our podcast and look forward to all the amazing things that you're going to do at the Foundry, at the Wikimedia Foundation and beyond. <laughs> thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mary. Always lovely to catch up. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show, and this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our Accessibility Coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.